Please turn with me to today's scripture reading, which comes from 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 through 17. I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me faithful, appointing me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. If you have your Bibles, would you open them to 1 Timothy uh, 1 verse 12? Uh, and that's where we're going to be at. Uh, it was read just uh, a little bit earlier, to, uh, like just now. And then um, let me just go ahead and, and just get into this text today. Uh, let's just really ask the Lord to speak to us um, even as we, as we go before him. Jesus, Lord, we ask you that, Lord, what we do not know, you would teach us. That, Lord, what we are not, that, Lord, you would make us, that you would take us, meet us where we are, Jesus, but transform us by your glory and transform us by hearing your word today. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. You know, there's this thing... Uh, I'm going to begin this way. There's this thing that we used to do uh, in Africa, like, and I know some of you guys have done that uh, when we were playing soccer as kids. Uh, so we, we called it football in Zimbabwe. So, um, you know, two captains would be chosen. Um, you know, two kids that were your peers, uh, they were, they, they, then they would actually start picking people for their teams. And so all of a sudden, uh, you just realized all of a sudden that now you're being ranked in your athleticism by, by just this jury of elementary kids, right? And, and at the same time, um, and, and at the same time, this is the time when, uh, honestly, you realize that like you're now um, you know, you're being, you're being, you're the one who's being picked last. And, and, and honestly, uh, being picked up, being picked last was, it just messed me up week after week, right? I uh, just remember standing over and over underneath the, the African sun, being subjected to what I call perennial rejection over and over and over, right? And, and that's what, this was something that uh, it just carried over even into life, where I just like really always thought maybe uh, nobody wants me. Nobody wants me. They always pick me last. Uh, and in fact, even if you follow the NFL right now, there is actually the guy that is the last draft pick is called Mr. Irrelevant. And in fact, like, there's a lot of people that have been drafted, but if you go and you search, you will find Mr. Irrelevant is, uh, they, they know every Mr. Irrelevant that has been picked, right? And, and the thing is that it just carries over. It carries over in life because, like, after that, uh, these guys are trying to prove themselves, trying to prove that they are worth it, that they are not that last pick, right? 
The problem is that this carries over even not only just into life, but it carries over even in, in how we view God sometimes. When we start looking and we see our own unworthiness and we start seeing all the things about us, all of a sudden we look at this God that we sing about and we say, God, why would you pick me? Why would you pick me? And before God, a lot of us maybe stand as Mr. Irrelevant, right? And so, and I had to learn this very quickly as I came to know Christ. He met me at my deepest need. I remember at 17, after losing my mother to the battle of uh, just to HIV AIDS, and at the age of 17, trying to commit suicide at every turn, not feeling worthy, and I was drowning in grief, and his power came into my life, changed me, saved me, and, and, and at that moment, I collided not only just with his, with his great love, but I collided also with his particular love. His particular love that he zoomed in into me and said, I want you. I'm here to save you. I want to change your life. Uh, and, and I learned quickly that I was in God's last pick uh, for his love, his forgiveness, and his adoption, and his calling, right? And so some of us, if we're honest this morning, we've been singing about the victory at the cross. But really deep down underneath, maybe one thing that has been hindering our walk with the Lord has been the fact that we still feel like we're Mr. or Mrs. Irrelevant before God. And so that's what this text does to us today. When we're looking at 1 Timothy, let me just kind of give, if, if, you were to, if you were to look at this text, it's going to show you this one thing. This main idea that is screamed from, the, from, from this text is going to be this, that at our worst, God gives us his best. That at our worst, God gives us his best. And not only that, at our worst, God continues to give us his best. And, and he changes us in the midst of that. So written in AD 62 to 63, Paul is writing to Timothy, who he left in, in, the, in the church of, in Ephesus, uh, which is being affected by false teachers and emphasizing, and he wants them to emphasize, Timothy to emphasize on the truth of what Jesus has done and, and what it means for God to transform them, to transform them with the gospel, both the leadership and also the people of God. And so in the midst of indicting, all these false teachers and their, and, and their teachings, Paul pauses right at the beginning of the text. He pauses to praise God because of, or, or because of what God has done to him, right? God saved him, giving him his best when he was at his worst. So this is what we're going to be looking at, the story of Paul, the story of his transformation. That, and and when, it, when, when you look through this, you get to see this idea being screamed from the mountaintops that Christ came to give God's best to us at our worst. And that we're not his last peak. And so Christ is God's best gift to mankind. Christ is God's best gift to mankind. And so when you look here, Paul, he's celebrating that he has been transformed by the king, right? And then so this is my claim this morning that where Christ has done uh, his best work, there's always an eruption of praise. We're singing people because God has done marvelous things in our lives. Amen? 
right? And so, so this, is, this is what you see here in Paul, uh, what, what he does. And in verse 12, he says, I thank Christ, uh, Christ Jesus, our Lord, right, who has given me strength, that he has considered me faithful, appointing me to his service. And so he starts with just thanking God. He's erupting with praise. That word erupt, he is, this is bursting beyond the limits. And you're going to see this being played out here in, as he's reciting what Christ has done. He tells a story of his conversion uh, and being used by God. And he sandwiches this story between two declarations of praise. So you see, he says, I thank God at the beginning. But if you jump down to verse 17, you'll see there, he ends actually, and he says, now to the king be glory forever and ever. Amen, right? He tells his story, and he says, when I think about the Lord, when I think about where he picked me up from, when I think about what I was doing, when I think about all those things, there is nothing but praise that erupts out of me because he gave me his best at my worst. You know, that's true for you and me today. So follow me on this text. And here he's saying Christ is the agent of change. And that word Christos, when he says, I thank Christ, our Lord. And that is a title of who Jesus is. He is, and that word is, he is the anointed one, the Messiah, the long anticipated uh, Davidic king who was going to come and take uh, the place of David as ruler and savior of the world, right? And Paul here is using Christ in, in, in equivalent. He says, it was not just, it was not an angel that came to save me. It was not the JV team. It was the king himself who came to save me. And let me tell you this, our salvation is, is so precious. In fact, the book of Hebrews is going to call it the great salvation, the eternal salvation. It is a great salvation. Why? Because our salvation was not purchased by the JV team of God's army. It was purchased by the king himself. Amen. In fact, I would actually just uh, before we unpack uh, the what of our salvation, the who of our salvation is what matters more than the what of our salvation. And in fact, an anemic view, uh, an anemic uh, 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 view of the who of our salvation will make us neglect our salvation. The who of our salvation, and Paul here he says, it is King Jesus who came for me. He is the one who came to rescue me, right? And so his praise erupts because he's considering that it is King Jesus who transformed him, right? And he is the one who picked him and sent him as an apostle. And look at the transformation here. In verse 12 there, it says that he met him in his weakness and he gave him strength. And what else did he do? Because God gave him strength, he enabled him also to be faithful, right? Gave him strength, enabled him to be faithful, and then he appointed him to be servant. For Paul, this is something that, that is like, he's, I am the lowest of the law, but yet God said, I can use you, right? And so that's why if you go down to verse 17, he erupts with praise. Now to the king eternal immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor, glory, and, and, and glory forever and ever. Amen. 
And what does that word king mean? It means that he is, and this is where the who of our salvation matters more. And in fact, if your faith is getting cold at some point, you, you, you need to actually spend more time immersing yourself in the who of your salvation more than anything. In fact, this is actually what even the, 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 in the book of Acts, you will see in chapter 4, chapter 5, and chapter 6, when they had been persecuted, they go before God. And what do they say? Sovereign Lord. They pump themselves in. They just really look at who is it that is for us before they look at what is against them. And this is the call here. Who is this king? Sovereign ruler who sustains all things, who has also acted in history in time by sending his son and his spirit to redeem and to restore us. That's the great news of the gospel. That's the who of our salvation. But not only that, he is eternal beyond all the fluctuations of time. And he came outside of time and he came into time to rescue us so he can rescue us and, and give us eternal life so that now he can bring us to be with him and live eternally with him. That's the who of our salvation. He's also immortal beyond the ravages of death and decay. And that is proven at resurrection that death couldn't hold him. On the third day, Jesus rose again, and that's who came to save us. Amen? He's invisible beyond all limits of every horizon. His glory dis is displayed in creation, and ultimately it is in Jesus. And Jesus is, is what we call the image of the invisible God, according to first, uh, Colossians 1, 15. And he is also, the, he, is, he is a representation of God, coming, God become flesh. It wasn't the JV team that came to save us. It was God himself. So the question is, how can he fail? How can he fail? Canvas all the battles with depression, with whatever it is that you're struggling with, and look and focus on the who of your salvation. And, and Romans 1 says this, Paul says, I'm an apostle of the gospel of God. How then can he fail? What then can separate us from the love of Christ? What, what is it? Can, who can you compare him with? Right? And there's nothing. And so this is actually where Paul says, honor and glory be him. He is the only God and, and to him belongs honor and glory. Reminds me of a story of uh, in the World Trade Center in 9/11. Uh, what happened was uh, there was uh, there were two gentlemen who were stuck underneath the rubble, nine hours stuck underneath that rubble. And but uh, there was uh, thousands of miles away in Connecticut. There was this uh, uh, hundreds of miles away. There was Dave Carnes who was sitting w working on spreadsheets, and he had served in the military for 23 years. And he's sitting there and he's watching this 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 like 9/11. 
11 like just unravel and he actually like he felt like he had to do something about it so he went to the barber shop and he had he went and got like a, a soldier cut and then he went cut got on army fatigues and and he got in his car drove all the way uh, to the world trade center and and his uniform everybody assumed hey he, he he's here with everybody and so he goes and he starts actually helping finds another marine marine and they're helping actually just like find more and more people at that time they're calling all the rescuers out but they leave they leave Dave David in there and as he is actually searching as he's searching, they hear actually there's a faint sound of tapping pipes and yelling. And these guys, Will and, and John, had been trapped in there for nine hours. And they were number 18 and 19 of the 20 people that were rescued around that time. And all because Dave Keynes, he took off his suit, working on spreadsheets, put on rescue fatigues, and stepped into the despair and the darkness of ground zero. Right. And then, that's actually how Will and John were saved. So in the same way, but also to an infinite greater degree, God took on his royal robes and he took them off. And he stepped into the dark, depraved, cultures of our lives and depraved like places of our lives and he came to save us we were buried under the depths and the rubbles of our own foolishness the 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 ground zero uh, of our sin without any chance of us saving ourselves and we were without hope that this is what Ephesians 2 says without hope and without God but he came clothed himself in humanity to come and rescue us and to become sinful us at the cross so that now this is actually what, what, what we become at the cross he, he, he took our sin but then he took his righteousness and he put it on us and so today we are looked at as the righteousness of God does that sound like the, does that sound like Mr. or Mrs. Irrelevant? No, we are sons and daughters of the king now able to enter boldly before his throne and have confidence to enter our sins no longer hindering us because he has taken care of them and now adopted and fully accepted and listen we don't even need an appointment we can call on the name of the Lord Jesus and we can be saved and it doesn't matter how great how small our sin is it doesn't matter what we've been through who we've been with and whatever it is Jesus now is saying come to me all who are weary, heavy laden, and I will give you rest. But who's talking? The who of our salvation matters. It is the King of Kings, the one who is eternal. This is actually what we would, what we look at as the wonder of wonders. The wonder of our gospel is the fact that at our worst, He came and He gave us His best. Amen. So we see that here. Our praise is anchored in the who of our praise right it is Christ who is for us God who has given Jesus and I, I, I maybe just want to even run into this Satan's goal in yours and mine's life is probably to trivialize our salvation by maybe blinding us 
specifically on feasting and seeing the who of our salvation so that then now we doubt the what of our salvation. I definitely can't come back from that because we forget the who of our salvation. And so here we see this, that Christ, right, Christ has given us, Christ is God's best gift to mankind, but also we see this also, that Christ is God's best God's best given at our worst. And so Paul here gives you his before, right? We've looked at the sandwich here, his before. What is his before? His situation was bleak. The word of his salvation here. And here praise erupts when we contrast what God has done with where we were and how he has changed us and how he is changing us. Look at verse 13. Even though I once was a blasphemer, Right, that word means that he spoke against Jesus and tried to force disciples to blaspheme against Christ. Right? And if you look at um, Acts chapter 9, verse 1, it says, Meanwhile, Paul Saul was breathing out murderous threats. So he's looking at this and he's like, I, could, I should have never come from that. But he came for me there murdering threats against the Lord's disciples, right? He went to the high, Lord, high priest and he asked for letters to the synagogues in Damascus and so that he, would, he found any who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. And Paul also says that he was a persecutor. And that word means he pursued intensely those who were Christians attempting to destroy the church and there's something about when he's describing the gravity of who he was he actually just keeps on it's like this elevator the mining elevator that just keeps going deep and deep and deep he wasn't just a blasphemer he was also a persecutor meaning that he intensely pursued those who hated the church who 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 belonged to the church and that means that it wasn't just an outward thing, it was an inward thing. Galatians 1.13, he says, For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church and tried to destroy it. Paul was not trying to do, he was actually, his main goal was actually to try to destroy the church. That had, there was a deep hatred in there. But he actually says, um, he says that it, he was also an arrogant man. That's the word hubris. Like th this was something on the inside. He was trying to earn something before God. So it led him to become insolent, violent, to insult Christ, to be an aggressor, to become a bully. He found satisfaction insulting and humili humiliating people of the faith. That's Paul. He says, this is who I was. The word of his salvation is that man, he had deep hostility towards God. And he says this, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. Paul is one of those that says, do you know who Jesus was praying about when he was at the cross saying, forgive them for they do not know what they do? Paul says, he was praying for 
for me. I'm so glad that when I look at the king on the cross, that he already saw me wilding out in my sin, and he still said, I'm still going to save him. While he was still a sinner, Christ died for him. These are things he's probably meditating on as he's writing Romans 5, as he's writing, all, we were dead in sin, right? And he says, I was marching to the drumbeat of Satan. And Paul is just meditating on what, what Christ did for him. And he says that like I was, and, and not only that, it was I was steeped in unbelief. But Christ, and he says that God showed me mercy. What is that mercy? Soul, soul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you're persecuting. All of a sudden, it all comes true in front of his eyes that even though he's blind, he now knows that Jesus resurrected from the dead. He is not just some dead, dead person, but he had been raised from the dead. And he had been zealous of the law. And what Paul actually does here, when he's writing or when he's writing this, you know what he does? He not only just runs towards sinners in terms of like, because a lot of times there's two categories of sinners what we think about when we think about sinners. Those that are like, man, just like turning it all up, man, and they're squandering everything, and they're so, they're so open about their rebellion. But Paul here, he's saying, Man, I was a religious sinner. This is what C.S. Lewis says, the worst sins of men are spiritual. Of all bad men, religious bad men are the worst. Meaning that Paul was hiding behind all the good works, all the keeping the law and doing all that and not realizing that if you were looking at Luke 15, Really what Paul is there, he is not the younger brother who goes and squanders it all. He is the older brother who stays at home, conforms, does everything, but it actually leads him. It's actually what they call religious lostness. That we can sometimes like things that we do, we can do, 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 and think because of that, now we have earned a place before God. But Paul here says that, and what, what he says here, look, look at this. And he says, Christ came and he died. And he says, Christ, he says, I'm the worst of sinners. I'm the chief. I'm the, God made me and he met me in my worst and, and saved me. And not only that, changed me. Uh, and he says, I'm the worst of all sinners. And what's interesting there as well is this idea too. Um, that Paul is not only just not now, he uses the present tense. I am the worst of sinners. Like, wait, it's like, hold on, Paul. I thought you were just talking about your past. But Paul is actually also talking about his present. And commentators actually argue about this. Like, why would he say that? Why would he say that? It's simply because a lot of times, it is so easy to measure. You know, I'll, if you look across the room or you look across the, 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 you look across the, like your workspaces and people that you interact with, you're always doing better than the other person. That's the truth. 
In fact, if you take 7 billion plus people against you, you probably may be in the top 10% in the cool stuff that you do. In terms of your righteousness and all that stuff. But Paul here is not looking horizontally in consideration of his heart and what he is still working on. His humility comes from the fact that he's not measuring himself with, with at that time, probably uh, a couple of million people or maybe thousands. I don't know how many people were there during that time. He's looking vertically and he's looking at the righteousness of Christ. And every time he looks at him and he says, I'm the worst. And this is actually like the thing. As we get drawn before God, oh, over and over and over even the things maybe some people look at as that that's little ah that's that's not a big deal paul is probably still before god in the same no before the throne that's still a, a big deal but man thank god that he came to save sinners and of whom i am what the worst and he says this keeps me running to him over and over and I find grace this is what Charles Spurgeon says your sense of unworthiness which is Paul what Paul is going through if if it if it if it be properly used should drive you to Christ you are you are unworthy but Jesus died for the unworthy and so it should be driving and so whenever we go before God and this is one of the reasons why I love one of the best things that you could ever cherish as a Christian is something that we call conviction when you do something and then all of a sudden you feel just the Holy Spirit pressing and says shouldn't have done that oh a lot of us usually use that as a pretext for what running from God but conviction is a beautiful thing Number one, rejoice because it shows you that you're his child because the Bible says that he would never con correct you if you're not his, right? And then it's just like that's the privilege of adoption is the fact that like the Holy Spirit says, hey, 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 you are straying, come this way. And in fact, the Holy Spirit then doesn't make a trip into our hearts, convict us without actually offering a hand of actually what? Drawing us towards Jesus the author and the finish of our faith. Amen? Right. And Paul says this, verse 14, the grace of our Lord was, I love this. He's like, guys, God picked me up at the worst place, but where did he take me? He took me and he put me right underneath. Look at verse 14. And he was, the grace of our Lord, I did not deserve it. It was poured out on me abundantly right along with the faith and it's like God didn't only just give me what I didn't deserve but not only that he then awakened me and my dead heart by faith and the love that I in Christ Jesus and this is where Paul is saying God came he took me and put me under the waterfall of his grace and that's where we need to be living Right? This is our residential address as believers should be under the waterfall of His grace day in, day out. Just enjoying what He has done because at our worst, He gave us what? His best. But not only that, even in our worst, He continues to give us what? His best. 
That's what Paul is saying here. Right. Thomas Brooks, a Puritan, says this, Saving grace makes a man willing to leave his lust as a slave is willing to leave his galley, as a prisoner his dungeon, as a thief his bolts, as a, beg a beggar his rags. That's what saving grace does. It, it just calls us. And so where are you today? If God, if, if God was calling to you like he called to Adam, Adam, where are you? Where are you today? Are you finding yourself maybe just like steeped in? There's a sin that you've been indulging in. And some of them, we call them darling sins. The ones that like maybe just like over promise, under deliver, but we still love them anyway. And we just like, and we're wrestling with them. Where are you? Christ is calling you and he says, run to me. Run to me, camp yourself underneath my waterfall of my grace, and you will see what will happen. What's your worst? What sin do you believe is beyond his forgiveness? What unthinkable deed do you think is beyond his mercy and grace? And that's actually now where we have to run to. But who is offering you salvation? The what of your salvation looms large. It becomes even more when you look. It is Christ, our King, who's promised a way of escape. Amen? Right. So in Christ, this is what I want to end just by pushing towards us this morning. In Christ, there is still hope for the worst of sinners. They still hope. This is what Paul says here. Here's a trustworthy saying, verse 15. He says, you can take this to the bank. A saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. And Paul here is saying that, like, well, why did he do that? He took me. He put me. He saved me, but it was for this very reason I was shown mercy. So that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might, might display his unlimited patience. If ever, if ever you find yourself stuck, that's probably the best phrase right there. Unlimited patience. I have six kids. My patience runs... <laughs> There is sometimes when they're trampling, they're like literally just, like just jumping on my last nerve, right? And I need the fruit of the Spirit. But this is actually like what we, that God has this unlimited patience. And what was it for? As an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. It was put in here for you and for me in 2023 so that when you hear that and you say God gives his best to, to the worst, man, he did it for Paul. It's so easy to look at it and just say, ah, oh, he did it for Pastor Donnie. Ah, oh, he did it for Pastor Tim. He did it. But me, you don't know what I've done. But here, Paul says, nah, it is also for you. And what this means is that it requires a response for you and me, from me and you today. What is it that stands between you and God today? What is it that stands, in fact, let me say this, what is it that stands between you and a vibrant relationship with Jesus today? 
where you do not feel like you are the last pig, you are his child. What is it? And here, what we see Paul says, he says this is a trustworthy saying. He says it's reliable. Hold on to it in the midst of false teaching, in the midst of the world and its philosophies, in the midst of it doesn't matter how the world changes, no matter whatever it is, whether it's 2023, whether it's 2050, whether it's, uh, whether it's AD 60 during this time, it is a reliable, it's a reliable testimony. It says it's trustworthy. But not only that, in case maybe you just think, oh, it was just for them. It is also universal, deserving full acceptance from every people, nation, tribe, and tongue. We see that in Revelation. Deserving full acceptance. It doesn't matter who you are, and we see that. And it should be universally accepted. But not only that, Christ came Right? We, we, we see what Paul is saying here. It is historical. It, it's not a myth. It's a Christ came into the world in space and time. And he came into the world. And Jesus says this in John 3, 13. No one has gone into heaven except the one who has come from heaven, the Son of Man. In Luke 19, 10, he says, For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his own Son. He came into history and time so that whosoever believed. And this is open to everyone and anyone. Whosoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life right John 12 verse 46 I have come into the world as light that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness right and Paul says this I says it was for that reason that when we hear today and Paul had this in mind that today on this day as we read June 11 as we read this, you would hear and you would put your faith in Jesus and you would believe that the worst that could ever be said about you today. I'm talking about the shameful stuff, the stuff you don't want anyone to, to hear about. The very things, the worst that could ever be said about you has already been said at the cross. Christ came to save sinners, amen? The worst. So, so listen, this is the premise of, the, of, of what the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is. The worst that could ever be said about you has been said at the cross. But you know what else has been said? The best that could ever be said about you and I has been said at the cross. He spread himself out at the cross, opened his arms wide, and he said, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. I will adopt you. Even if when no one wants you, I will adopt you. You are mine. You are my child. I am adopting you. You are seated with me in the heavenly in, 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 in seated with me and you are mine and not only that I want you to gaze on me and enjoy my presence forever. When everyone thinks the worst of you, Christ gives his best for you. Amen? That's what we see here. Right? And so as we think about this, when we think about ourselves as Mr. Irrelevant or Mrs. Irrelevant, we need to remember that he came. He picked a bunch of self-centered guys, looked at the 12 disciples. They were not perfect. But Jesus said, 
I'll pick them. I'll work with them. What more you? When they didn't get along with, uh, with some of the others in the group, Jesus still said, I'll pick them. I'll work. I'll work with them. Most of the times they didn't fully believe, even after miracle upon miracles. And Jesus looked at them and he still said, I'll work on them. What, what more are you? Right? Some of them had extreme political stances, right? And Jesus said, I'll, I'll work with them. I will unite them with my blood. And they deserted Jesus when he was getting arrested, right? Like, and then just like they had said, Jesus, where, where, where you ride or dies? And But at the, at the heat of everything, they ran away from him. And Jesus still said, I see the worst in them, but you know what? I'm still going to give them my best. Right. Peter denies him three times. Jesus still says, after he raises, he's risen from the dead, he still makes a beeline towards Peter. And he says, I'll still work with you. And Paul persecutes the church, and Paul, Jesus still says, I'll pick him up, and I will rescue him, and I'll work with him. So even for us today, Jesus still gives his best to us. He lived a life we couldn't live. We should have lived and couldn't live. He died our death that we deserved. He saved us. And he died for us. But early Sunday morning, church, God's work wasn't done. He raised him from the dead. And now this is what he says. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, he was raised to life. He's at the right hand of God. And he's interceding for you and me. And you know what he's saying? God, I see their worst. But remember the best you've given. And his best is still available for you and me. Pray with me.